My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, The Story Podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 60, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Numbers 8 and 9, Deuteronomy 8 and 9, and Psalm 92. Numbers 8, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you set up the lamps, see that all the seven lights up the area in front of the lampstand. Aaron did so. He set up the lamps so that they faced forward on the lampstand, just as the Lord commanded Moses. This is how the lampstand was made. It was made of hammered gold from its base to its blooms. The lampstand was made exactly like the pattern the Lord had shown Moses. The Lord said to Moses, Take the Levites from among all the Israelites and make them ceremonially clean. To purify them, do this, sprinkle the water of cleansing on them. Then have them shave their whole bodies and wash their clothes. And so they will purify themselves. Have them take a young bull with its grain offering of the finest flour mixed with olive oil. Then you are to take a second young bull for a sin offering. Bring the Levites to the front of the tent of meeting and assemble the whole Israelite community. You are to bring the Levites before the Lord. And the Israelites are to lay their hands on them. Aaron is to present the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering from the Israelites so that they may be ready to do the work of the Lord. Then the Levites are to lay their hands on the heads of the bull, using one for a sin offering to the Lord and the other for a burnt offering to make atonement for the Levites. Have the Levites stand in front of Aaron and his sons and then present them as a wave offering to the Lord. In this way, you are to set the Levites apart from the other Israelites and the Levites will be mine." After you have purified the Levites and presented them as a wave offering, they are to come to do their work at the tent of meeting. They are the Israelites who are to be given wholly to me. I have taken them as my own in place of the firstborn, the first male offspring from every Israelite woman. Every firstborn male in Israel, whether human or animal, is mine. When I struck down all the firstborns in Egypt, I set them apart for myself. And I have taken the Levites in place of all the firstborn sons in Israel." From among all the Israelites, I have given the Levites as gifts to Aaron and his sons to do the work at the tent of meeting on behalf of the Israelites and to make atonement for them so that no plague will strike the Israelites when they go near the sanctuary. Moses, Aaron, and the whole Israelite community did with the Levites just as the Lord commanded Moses. The Levites purified themselves and washed their clothes. Then Aaron presented them as a wave offering before the Lord and made atonement for them to purify them. After that, the Levites came to do their work at the tent of meeting under the supervision of Aaron and his sons. They did with the Levites just as the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord said to Moses, this applies to the Levites. Men 25 years old or more shall come to take part in the work at the tent of meeting. But at the age of 50, they must retire from their regular service and work no longer. They may assist their brothers in performing their duties at the tent of meeting, but they themselves must not do the work. This, then, is how you are to assign the responsibilities of the Levites. Numbers 9. The Lord spoke to Moses in the desert of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they came out of Egypt. He said, Have the Israelites celebrate the Passover at the appointed time. 
celebrated at the appointed time at twilight on the 14th day of this month, in accordance with all its rules and regulations. So Moses told the Israelites to celebrate the Passover, and they did so in the desert of Sinai at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. The Israelites did everything, just as the Lord commanded Moses. But some of them could not celebrate the Passover on that day because they were ceremonially unclean, on account of a dead body. So they came to Moses and Aaron that same day and said to Moses, We have become unclean because of a dead body. But why should we be kept from presenting the Lord's offering with the other Israelites at the appointed time? Moses answered them, Wait until I find out what the Lord commands concerning you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, when any of you or your descendants are unclean because of a dead body or are away on a journey, they are still to celebrate the Lord's Passover. But they are to do it on the 14th day of the second month at twilight. They are to eat the lamb together with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They must not leave any of it till morning or break any of its bones. When they celebrate the Passover, they must follow all the regulations. But if anyone who is ceremonially clean and not on a journey fails to celebrate the Passover, they must be cut off from the people for not presenting the Lord's offering at the appointed time. They will bear the consequence of their sin. A foreigner residing among you is also to celebrate the Lord's Passover in accordance with its rules and regulations. You must have the same regulations for both the foreigner and the native-born. On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at His command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp, and then at His command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from the evening till morning, and when it lifted in the morning, they set out. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with His command through Moses. Deuteronomy 8. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep His commands, He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with the manna, which never you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God. Walk in obedience to Him and revering Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. 
Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe your commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors have never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hand have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who will give you the ability to produce wealth, and so to confirm his covenant which he swore to your ancestor as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed, like the nations the Lord destroyed before you. So you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Hear, Israel, you are now about to cross the Jordan, to go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you, with large cities that have walls up to the sky. The people are strong and tall, Anakites. You know about them and have heard it said, who can stand up against the Anakites? But be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes across ahead of you like a devouring fire. He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you, and you will drive them out and annihilate them quickly as the Lord has promised you. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you're going to take possession of their land. But on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. Remember this and never forget how you arose the anger of the Lord your God in the wilderness. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you have been rebellious against the Lord. At Horeb, you arose the Lord's wrath so that he was angry enough to destroy you. When I went up on the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord had made with you, I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and drank no water. The Lord gave me two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. On them were all the commandments the Lord proclaimed to you on the mountain out of fire on the day of the assembly. At the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me the two stone tablets, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord told me, go down from here at once, because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have turned away quickly from what I commanded them and have made an idol for themselves. And the Lord said to me, I have seen this people and they are a stiff necked people indeed. Let me alone so that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make you into a nation stronger and more numerous than they. So I turned and went down from the mountain while it was ablaze with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my hands. When I looked, I saw that you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. You have turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord has commanded you. So I took the two tablets and threw them out of my hands, breaking them to pieces before your eyes." 
Then once again, I fell prostrate before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and drank no water because of all the sin you have committed, doing what was evil in the Lord's sight and so arousing his anger. I fear the anger with and wrath of the Lord, for he was angry enough with you to destroy you. But against the Lord, listen to me. And the Lord was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him. But at that time, I prayed for Aaron too. Also, I took that sinful thing of yours, the calf you had made, and burned it in the fire. Then I crushed it and ground it to powder as fine as dust and threw the dust into a stream that flowed down the mountain. You also made the Lord angry at Taberah, at Massa, and at Kibroth Hatava. And when the Lord set you out from Kadesh, Barnea, he said, Go up and take possession of the land. I have given you, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord, your God. You did not trust him or obey him. You have been rebellious against the Lord ever since I have known you. I lay prostrate before the Lord these 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said he would destroy you. I prayed to the Lord and said, Sovereign Lord, do not destroy your people, your own inheritance that you redeemed by your great power and brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Overlook the stubbornness of these people, their wickedness and their sin. Otherwise, the country from which you brought us will say, because the Lord was not able to take them into the land, he had promised them, and because he hated them, he brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. But they are your people, your inheritance, that you brought out by your great power and your outstretched hand. Psalm 92 It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night, to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord! How profound your thoughts! Senseless people do not know, fools do not understand, that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever." But you, Lord, are forever exalted. For surely your enemies, Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured on me. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ear have heard the rout of my wicked foes. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. So to orient, we're reading Numbers, the opening line in Hebrew, which becomes the title, The Wilderness. We're already into Deuteronomy as well, and the opening line of this story in Hebrew is the words. So taken together, we're reading the story of the wilderness and the words, or the words in the wilderness. Numbers is the story of Israel, having spent a year at Mount Sinai, and it's about taking census, organizing around Yahweh God at the center, and preparing to go to the promised land. And Deuteronomy is Moses repeating and expounding in context on the laws and a set of sermons meant to inspire faithfulness, renewal, and Shema, which we read, but I haven't expanded on yet. It's from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. So in Hebrew, the Shema is love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Sound familiar? Should. It's like the great commandment, right? And it starts with hearing. It moves to active listening, giving focused attention. So system two thinking instead of system one brain, that's a Daniel Kinnaman reference. This leads to more of an understanding, a stirring of the heart to put first the will of God and lastly to respond in obedience. 
Dr. Tim Mackey and John Collins discuss how Shema is listening through the heart. The Hebrew language didn't orient around thinking or the brain in language or culture, as ours so often does. It was anchored in the heart. This is interesting because research today supports that without the limbic center of the brain, or emotions and this part of the brain that doesn't have capability of speech or rationality, is actually the decision-making center. Rationality can influence, but it does not decide the behavior. God knew this before we knew this and chose a language and culture that would put this on display. It's so cool. So the self is heart-centered, gut-centered, and not head-centered. Soul in Hebrew is nefesh, which is actually more like the English word throat as it's used many ca- in many cases in the Old Testament, which Dr. Mackey describes it as a metaphor for the place you breathe the passageway to your core, your innermost being. It's more of a reference to your whole being and not the modern concept of like an intangible floating self that survives like a ghost after death. There's really, that's not the right metaphor in his opinion. The concept of strength is like the word much more or very, like a modifier adjective. It's this sense of all, giving all that you are and all that you have in every capable skill, time, and way. Jesus does say in the book of Matthew, love the Lord with all your mind in chapter 22. And Dr. Tim Mackey describes that story in an excerpt on the Torah. Jesus does say in the book of Matthew, love the Lord your God with all your mind. So mind is added in chapter 22 of Matthew. And Dr. Tim Mackey describes that story as an expert from the Torah testing Jesus about the first commandment, which is Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and here it says mind. Interesting. And then in Mark, Jesus is similarly asking, or someone's asking him, what's the most important command? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Dr. Tim Mackey and John Collins think this might be because the Greek culture was highly evolving, obviously, in the New Testament. So if you're familiar, that's all that Greek and Western philosophy happening. So a lot of rational thought taking place. It's being born, and Jesus is living in this time and culture. So he's adding to the commandment this clarifying aspect that now, even too, in your culture, in this new part that you're understanding, that too is mine. Like, use that for me, all of it. So he's responding to culture. Use your mind to surrender it as well to me. I think that's just so cool and interesting. In Numbers 8 and 9, we read about the lampstand, dedication, retirement, uh, these rhythms and processes, and the second and delayed Passover and the moving of the cloud we're reminded of. In Deuteronomy 8 and 9, God is asking for one thing, allegiance, Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, although mine's not there yet. (laughs) And anyone in business knows that trust and loyalty are everything. Whether you're an employer or a customer, The brand is the symbol of core values. The brand is God here, and we are being asked to be his brand ambassadors. And later in the New Testament, also his followers too. So the point is follow, and in the following, you learn how to represent. Loyalty requires active listening and responding. Dr. Gary Miller highlights how chapter 8 reminds us that the wilderness was meant to humble us, in in the sense that we are being forced to see our total lack of desire, and admit our constant disobedience, that God is the one who responds to our hunger, our needs with provision. We're being taught reliance and our total interdependence on Him. 
That can be a hard pill to swallow in our culture where independence is such a strong core value. I think this makes our understanding and practice of dependence on God a bit harder to take all the way into our core and practice in our lives. For some reason, I interpret this into the concept from brand identity, where there's core brand identity and it's in God and therefore the Bible and the story is telling the truth and it's the center of me and my story. But God also gives this extended brand identity where he gave me some of or many shared qualities, obviously, with other human beings and we're given a portion of his power and authority agency. We're given similar core brand identity, but also unique expressions and textures that I can use uniquely to put God on. On display in context of my community and creation care, right where I'm at. In this story, the contrast of living in a land that is wild and waste, barren, hard to conceive, is like Genesis 1 verse 2 and Genesis 3 echoes. And then in contrast with the abundance and goodness of the promised land, Genesis 1 and 2 echoes as well. Dr. Miller describes the greatest risk is not remembering or forgetting. And our strongest defense against that is recalling the details of God's care and protection. Like the concept of the Eucharist, it is gratitude, and gratitude, like joy, is a practice. It's a behavior, not a feeling. A feeling is an emotion or transient mood state, often confused with, you know, other things like qualities. Happiness is different from joy because happiness is a transient mood state. It comes and goes like a wave. Emotions aren't good or bad inherently. They are something we experience and respond to. To help us regulate our emotions well, we must put into practice our focus on God and the story with Shema. God wants to bless you with happiness, but not worship it. Don't let an outcome like happiness become the purpose. I know that can be hard because our Declaration of Independence literally has pursuit of happiness in there, like it's a purpose, but it's an outcome. And I remind myself that seeking happiness is another attempt to take the blessing versus live the purpose and be blessed and use the blessing to bless others. Lastly, this concept of God being an all-consuming fire next to the concept of Shema, next to our previous description of the radiance of Moses' face or God being reflected from him reminds me as we're being shown here in the story that while God's promise is total victory over the adversary and that all of the victory will be instantaneous, in this story, God is also saying the campaign to restore Israel in the place of ruling in the promised land will take some time. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.